Right, well, before we get started, let's just take some time to pray. We're going to pray. You bow your heads. Father in heaven, thank you for the rain. Thank you for creating thunder and lightning, for giving us a taste of your glory and your power and what you've created. Jesus, thank you for coming and dying for our sins and raising from the dead. And tonight we come as people who are coming from all over the place when it comes to our emotions and the places we are spiritually. But Jesus, we're here um, and we are trying to figure you out, trying to understand, trying to get reconnected, trying to believe, um, trying to further our walk with you. So give us the courage to do that. And Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would give us the strength to cast out what's false, the things that we don't need to hear, and to hold on to the truth, the truth of Jesus. And we ask that in your name. Amen. Um, I have a, a couple things to uh, announce. Uh, number one, um, this is the sign-up sheet, and uh, this is how we do our volunteer list. So if you're new with us, don't worry about it. It will get passed to you. You can pass it on by. There are a few spots still to sign up for. If you are a member of the village, um, we ask that you try to sign up for some slots with either a nursery or kid vespers or the different classes that we teach or to cook. So if you could do that, I'm going to pass that around. Um, and if you are new with us um, and you want to get information about what's happening each week and all that kind of good stuff, um, there's a 3 by 5 card here. You can put your name your email address, your favorite color, whatever you want to put on there, or nothing. You can put your name on there and say nothing under it. That's fine. Um, but anyway, if you're new with us, we'd be happy to give you information about who we are. Um, so for as most of you know, I've been on vacation for three weeks, and we went to Portland, but for half of that I was sick. Um, you know, vacation is when your body says, I'm done, and it gets sick. So half of my vacation was sick, but thank you guys for keeping the church moving, and thank you for um, cleaning and for letting people speak to you, like listening to David, listening to Mike, and um, I just want to give you a little bit of heads up what's going to happen in the next few weeks. Next week, Mark Crawford, who's not here, is going to talk about the resurrection. The week after that, Andrea, who's not here tonight, is going to talk to you about what it means to be accessible as a community um, and what that looks like. And one of the reasons that we let lots of people speak at the village is because we want the voice of God to not just be centered on me or centered on Rod, but to let you hear people offer their relationship with God and to get some experience speaking. So as, as leaders and to try out their, their speaking chops and to, to offer you their relationship with God. And I really appreciate the fact that you guys allow us to do that and that you, even though maybe sometimes you're thinking, hey, I know more than that guy up there or that girl, you're willing to put yourself under them and listen and understand and learn. So I really appreciate that. Um, but tonight we're going to get started. And I want to start here in uh, John 8, 31 to 32. I'm going to have all the scripture up here except for Exodus 12. So um, if you want to turn to Exodus 12, if you don't know where it is, it's the second book in the Bible, you can turn to Exodus 12. We'll be there for just a tiny bit, but that's the only passage that's not up here. So let me read John 8, 31 to 32 for you. To the Jews, and this is Jesus speaking, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, 
If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus says to these disciples who have believed in him, if you hold on to my teaching. Now, this isn't like just sort of holding it in your hand lightly. The idea here is that if you grab hold of and don't let go, okay? So part of my vacation was house-sitting for Samantha. Now, Samantha and boys, if you don't know her, they have this little black dog named Perky. Perky and I, before house-sitting, were not friends. I, I, I just... Perky and I do not get along. Um, Perky likes to jump and all those kinds of things, and Perky just has a Perky attitude. That's why he's named Perky, or she. I'm not quite sure. Um, but one of the things that Perky likes to do is get a hold of something and not let go. And so you can just, like, yank that dog's head around. You can shake it up and down. I don't think there's much of a brain there. So it just holds on. But this is the idea, the picture that Jesus is telling his disciples or the people who believe in him. If you want to be a disciple, if you want to, then you have to hold on so tight like Perky onto my teachings. Okay, You have to hold on to them. And if you hold on to my teachings, then I will own you. I will call you my disciple. Now a disciple is a disciplined learner, somebody who follows a particular leader here, following Jesus, but taking their teachings and owning them and making them their own. Then he says, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now this word know comes from the Hebrew yada. It kind of moves on into the Greek. And it's when you know somebody and when you know them well enough that you produce offspring. So like kind. So what he's saying here is, if you hold on to my teachings like Perky, you will have this intimate knowledge of me and I will be reproduced in you. Right? I will, you will reproduce me. Right? And this truth, you'll know the truth, and this truth will set you free. Now, if you didn't know, we've been going through these values of the village, because this year our theme has been becoming rooted disciples, being disciplined learners, learning to be perky, hold on to the teachings of God. And so we started off because we have six values and the first one was authenticity and we didn't want to just say, here's some random verses about how to be authentic, now go be authentic. So we looked at Habakkuk, who's this complainy, honest with God, honest with others kind of prophet. He was authentic and we learned what it looks like to be authentic. We've looked at what it looks like to be disciplined. We did a whole devotion together and over Lent and practiced the disciplines. We looked at creativity. And now, lo and behold, we're in the series on truth. And the idea here is the reason that we would focus on truth is we believe it's going to set us free. Right? We believe. And so truth for us is not some arbitrary thing that we're trying to like, this is what's true. What we've concluded is truth is Jesus. So we start talking about the holiness of God. How do you know the holiness of God? You look at Jesus. How do you know the goodness of God? You look at Jesus. How are you going to understand your own rebellion? Well, you look at Jesus and what he has to say about rebellion. We've said, well, how do, what is sin? Well, you look at what Jesus has said about sin. Truth always comes back to Jesus and what Jesus has to teach. Now, I just want to say that if you fall asleep tonight, maybe you might fall asleep, or you might think, man, this is basic stuff. I already know all of this, and you'll fall asleep. 
or you might get bored or whatever. But you'll find out at some point that there was something good in this sermon. And so you're going to want to listen to it again. So I would suggest that you go to our website and listen to it again. Now, some of you might think, wow, Eric's come back from vacation and he's just like really excited for some reason. Maybe he slept for a long time for once. Um, and so that was a good message. And I, my friend should hear this. Well, you can go to the website and they can say, hey, listen to this. Hear this message. It's good. Eric rarely is good, but this one is. And so he really had the Holy Spirit or something. So use the website. It's there. Share it. Share the sermons. Share the things that are there. So tonight, my job in this whole series is to talk about Jesus and how he became sin and died. We don't get to go to the resurrection. We just get to be in the depressing part where Jesus died and became our sin. And this idea comes from 2 Corinthians 5.21. And we're going to look at the whole verse, but we're going to start with just the first part. 2 Corinthians 5.21a says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Okay, He is God. Him is Jesus. And that word knew... It's the same reproduce in like kind. It's the same word, right? So Jesus, who had no acquaintance with sin, it couldn't be reproduced in him. God made him sin on your behalf. Okay? To be sin on your behalf. Now, that's great. But if we don't know what sin is, or we're not completely sure what sin is, then we're not sure what that means. Now, last week, Rod told us what sin was, right? He had a long treatise on sin, and he told us that sin is not the way it's supposed to be. The word literally means missing the mark. It's an archery term. There's a mark, you need to hit it, you've missed it. But I kind of want to expand that a little bit and let you understand the full breadth of sin and, and just exactly what it's done and what it means to be put on Jesus. Okay, so in the middle of a really long gospel story in 1 Corinthians 15.22, this dude named Paul, which let me just stop for a second and tell you about Paul. Most of you probably know, but some of you don't. Paul actually was this really very passionate, aggressive man. And he was a Jew, and he was not happy about this Christian sect called the Way that was ruining everything because they said they knew the Messiah. So what he did is he went out and he started jailing these people, dragging them out of their house, moving them, you know, kind of walking them through the streets and shaming them. He was harassing them. And he was passionate about it because he wanted to purify his faith. He got some letters from the authorities to go to the city of Damascus because he was going to humiliate the Jews in that city, I mean the Christians in that city. And so he was headed there and he meets a gigantic light that knocks him off his donkey onto his rear end. And the light says, Paul, Paul, why are you for saying, why are you doing this to me? Like, where are you doing? Who are you? He says, he says, I'm Jesus. This light does. Now, I want to encourage you with something. If you're a passionate person, if you're an aggressive person, if you're someone who gets excited about stuff and you just do it before you think, then you are probably pals with Paul, right? You're like Paul. And what happens is that God will use a baseball bat with you. Okay, He will knock you down. He will hit you hard. But here's the exciting thing about it. It might be painful. You might get blinded. But Paul becomes 
the second most influential person in the world in the last 2,000 years next to Jesus. Okay? It's arguably he's the most influential because God just redirected and honed and humbled that passion. And I guarantee you, if you're that kind of person, you probably at some point in your life are going through that experience. Well, Paul, and that was a little rabbit trail, but Paul wrote this thing to the Corinthians and he's telling them all about Jesus. And in the middle of it, he says, and this is only the first half and we'll visit the second half. He says, for as in Adam, all die. Okay. And what, and, and I hope that David and Rod covered some of this, but there's this idea that Adam sinned, right? Adam disobeyed God and death entered into the world. He made the world not the way it's supposed to be. And you and I inherited that. So we all inherited death. But to understand that, we kind of need to understand what we had before and what sin has done. If we're going to understand what it means to have our sin put on Jesus. So in the garden, before Adam and Eve sinned, before they disobey God, this is what they have. They have sanity, they have justice, and they are sacred. So the things that God has given to them is sanity. They're sane people. They're right people. They're right. They're just. And they're sacred. Okay, That's what they own. What happened when they disobeyed God, and this is what you and I inherit, is insanity, unjust, and the profane. So what we've become, what we've inherited, what death is, is insane, judgmental, profane people. That's what we've become. And you all know you're that, right? Some of us have a big bucket of insanity, right? And we're just trying to keep the top on it so that it doesn't explode over everybody. Some of us just wake up in the morning and think just weird thoughts. Insanity is there. Order is not in our brains. Order is not around us. For some of us, we're just, well, all of us, we, you all know you're judgmental. Right? And those of you who think you're not judgmental are just judging the people who aren't judgmental or who are judgmental or something like that. And you're judging me right now. I know it. I'm pretty sure of it. Right? There, we, we all are judges. We all have a selfishness. What is right in our own eyes is what we're going to do and what we think should happen. Right? I don't know how many times you've sat around and talked about politics and, and you know the way it should be. Right? You know how the United States should run. You know how the Middle East should work. You know how the Supreme Court should operate, right? If you were in charge, everything would be okay. Because you know what's right, and other people don't. And if you don't think that, I mean, just think about the things that have come into your eye gates, the things that you've allowed, you're like, man, I didn't, I really didn't want to see that, but I did want to see that. Like we've, we've, we've allowed the profane in our culture to be there, but, but when we talk about sacred moving to the profane, what sin has done is think about just all the violence that happens in our world and how it's escalating, it seems, and how people can go in and totally wipe out an entire group of people, just kill them, because there's, there's no sense of sacredness for human life. Now, C.S. Lewis says that, that hell is basically, in The Great Divorce, he basically says it's you living by yourself, isolated from everybody, basically insane, judgmental, and profane. Like, that's kind of what hell is. And, and that, hell is not burning forever. Death is not this moving out of existence. 
Death is you, completely absent of the image of God. No sanity, no justice, no sacredness. Just left with your insanity, left with the lack of righteousness, and left to the profane and to the just decimation of the, of the image of God. So, this is what sin has done. This is how sin plays it out. You all know that you've been in it in some way. It, it's in your brain. You know how, you know that death has come with Adam. Now, the question becomes, why did Jesus have to die? Why did he have to die? What is this, what did he say about sin? What does it mean? You know, a lot of times when we start talking about Jesus, we go read Paul. And I thought, man, maybe we should all just talk to Jesus about what he means of this death and what he means about sin. So I thought we'd look at one statement that Jesus makes over and over again, but this one happens to be closer uh, to his death. But this is what he says to his disciples often. As Jesus was about to go up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside by themselves, and on the way he said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify him. And on the third day, he will be raised up. Now we think, man, Jesus said this over and over again. How is it possible that his disciples just didn't get it? Well, here's why. This little word, son of man. Let me reread it to you, and I'll translate son of man to what it really meant to them. Okay? So behold, we are going up to Jerusalem and superman. The Superman will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes. The Son of Man in the brain of the first century Hebrew meant Superman. The man who existed with God. God himself. And so the the disciples were going, okay, yeah, you are, you keep saying you're the Son of Man. You are the Superman. You have fed a ton of people. You've healed people. Man, you even said some guy's sins were forgiven. You're Superman. So how is it possible that Superman can die? That just doesn't work. Like Superman is not going to lose. And so they didn't hear it. But here's the thing. The reason that Jesus, the simple answer to the reason Jesus had to die is Jesus said he had to die. Right? That's the simple answer. The simple answer is Jesus said he had to die. Well, as Jesus heads towards the end of his um, ministry, he eats a meal with his disciples. And in that meal, he explains what sin is and why he has to die. And we'll, we're going to look at this meal a little bit. But Matthew twenty six twenty six says this, While they were eating, Jesus took some bread. And after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So it's not just that Jesus said he had to die, but he says that his body being broken, dying, and his blood poured for you, is forgiveness of sin. So Jesus has to have the sin, your sin, put on him so that your sins can be forgiven. But this isn't just a simple 
little thing like, okay, Jesus had to die and His death pays the price for your sins. It's a lot bigger than that. You see, a long, long time ago, there was a people. And those people were the Israelites. And they were God's people. And they were stuck in Egypt. And they'd been slaves for a really, really long time. And this guy named Moses, God calls him to rescue them. And he's going to go in and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And he does that. And Pharaoh says, sure, why not? Then no, you can't. And so God sends all of these plagues. And finally, we get to the last plague in Exodus 12. And God lays out some rules. And this is really important to what we just read about Jesus. So let me read this very cool meal that Jesus was eating with his disciples and and what it's based on. Exodus 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, then they must share one of their with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. I love this. So if it's a family of my wife, then it's like maybe we'll just have one lamb leg. It's of a family of like me or Rod, um, then they're like, we need to cook like eight lambs because they're going to eat a lot. There's going to be a lot of lamb. Um, they like lamb. We do. Um, so you need to kind of figure out how much people eat. The animal you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the house where they eat the lamb. That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or cooked in water, but roast it over the fire, head, legs, and inner parts. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it. With your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On the same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals. And I will bring judgment on the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord God. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And where I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. So when Jesus is holding up the bread, do you notice that the bread is flatbread and it's bread without yeast? Now yeast means sin. It kind of symbolizes sin. So when he's holding up the bread and saying, this is my body, he's saying, this is a body without sin. Right? Going back to Exodus 12. This bread does not, doesn't have any yeast. When he says, this is my blood, he's talking about the blood of the lamb. He's making a connection and saying, hey, guess what, guys? I am the Passover lamb. And what John the Baptist in the beginning of John said about me is true. And this is what he says. He says in John 1.29, when John the Baptist sees Jesus, he says, the next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, behold, 
the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So what Jesus is saying about his death is that he takes the sin and it's forgiveness. Okay? It's forgiveness. Now we'll touch on a few more things in Exodus in just a moment. But I want to go back to the verses we looked at. Well, before we get there, I want to talk about Jesus for a moment. Because you might say, okay, this is great. Jesus is a perfect guy. He's going around saying he's going to you know, forgive people's sins. He said he's going to die. But it seems like it should be important that he's actually God if he's going to do these things. right? And so I don't want to spend a couple weeks on trying to prove to you that Jesus said he was God. I'll just say this. Jesus, you can say that Jesus isn't God, and that's great. You can, you can, you don't have to believe it. You can believe that he's a crazy guy who thought he was God. But to argue that in scripture he never claimed to be God is rather ridiculous. Okay? He over and over says he's God. All the gospels constantly are saying Jesus is God. But there's, we can just look at one of them here. Um, in John 8:58, Jesus says, truly, truly. Now, when he says truly, truly, he's saying, hey, guys, pay attention. Frank, Jack, I know uh, you're falling asleep over there. Cynthia, wake up. I want you to hear this one important thing. I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Now, God introduced himself to the people in the Old Testament as I am. When Moses was commissioned to go save the Israelites, there's this burning bush and he starts talking to it once he's verified that he's not on mushrooms and the bush talks to him and the bush says, I am. So when Jesus, when asked who he is, so when Jesus says, I am, I existed before Abraham, he's saying, I'm God. I'm the one who created things. I'm the one who spoke things into existence. I was before all of your forefathers. I'm God. When Pilate and Herod and the Sanhedrin ask him who he says he is, he says, yes, that's who I am. I am God. That, he verifies it. So you don't have to believe him. You can think he's crazy. But he says he's God. And he says that his death is for the forgiveness of sins. And he says he had to do it. But again, the question is why? Like what, what, what does it accomplish for God to put the sin of the world on Jesus? Well, let's go back to where we started in John 8. And we're going to continue reading John 8.33. And Jesus is going to explain why. Then Jesus answered him. Or they answered him, excuse me. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them. Again, wake up everybody. Truly, truly, I say to you, Everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Okay? So the first reason that Jesus needed to die is so that he could make you and I free. Insanity. Right? Sin brings insanity. Insanity rules us. Right? There is no freedom under insanity. You all know this. The crazy thoughts that you have. The moment that you speak something to someone in this church and you, and you didn't mean it the way you said it, 
but they took it one way and then you'll spend the rest of the week going, man, I wish I hadn't said that. Well, insanity is ruling you to the way that we have all these different paradigms on how we understand life and how the things that are going to make us feel good, they're insane. And Jesus' death and His forgiveness of our sins gives us freedom and gives us the opportunity to choose sanity, to even understand what sanity is, to, to have our eyes opened. And so we can actually anchor ourselves to the freedom of God and begin to understand what's sane. Well, here's the cool thing about this. If you're not a follower of Jesus, and I don't mean this in an offensive way, but if you're not a follower of Jesus, you are insane and you don't have any place to put your anchor. Okay, You are ruled by insanity. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, it doesn't mean that you've fixed all your insanity. But what you do know that everyone else doesn't know is that who's not following Jesus is that you know what sanity is. It's Jesus. You know that if you hold on like Turkey to what Jesus has to say, at least you understand sanity. And your job as a follower of Jesus is not to hold your sanity in, but to go around and say, hey, not, hey, you're all insane, you're all freaky, and you need to get it right. But hey, guys, this is what sanity is. We need to look at Jesus. right? So the cross itself becomes this amazing thing. Every time you see the cross, what you should think is there is sanity. Jesus on the cross offers me sanity. Every time you see a cross on somebody's necklace, think, there, there's sanity, there's freedom, there's my opportunity. That's what that represents. Now, we read 2 Corinthians 5.21, right? That God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. And then this is the second part. So that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So, now you and I have this opportunity because in Christ we've become righteous. We know what rightness is because of the cross. So because Jesus became our sin, because Jesus died on the cross, you and I are no longer unjust if we decide to follow Jesus. But here's the crazy thing about this again, guys, is that you have the opportunity not to hold in like righteousness and make, oh, I'm so right. I'm so happy to be right. God's made me right. No, you have an opportunity to the community around you and to the people that you live with and experience life with in the world to say, guess what? Look at what righteousness is. It's Jesus, right? You have an opportunity to proclaim what's right. You have a clarity that other people don't. The more that you follow the teachings of Jesus, the more you grab hold of them and possess them, the more you understand your rightness in Christ, the more you can speak about what is truly right and what is truly good with humility. So, Jesus died to give us freedom from our insanity. Jesus died to give us righteousness and to justify us, to make us right. And then in that crazy sermon from Paul, the second part of verse 22, where he said, in Adam we die, so also in Christ, this is speaking of Jesus, all will be made alive. This is, this is really important. Jesus' death for your sins makes you alive. And this is how, how this works. You see, you and I have a debt. We have Adam's debt. We have our own debt. We've, we've chose to sin. We've chose to be insane. We've chose to be judgmental. We've chose 
to be profane. We've chosen it. And, and the debt that we owe is death. It's very clear. It's Adam's debt. It's our debt. It's death. But in Christ, the debt is moved over. You see, it's as if it is. Jesus came and he took your insanity. And he took your unjustness, your judgmental life. And he took the profane, the way that you have abused the image, and he put it on himself. Now, if it were just my insanity and my garbage, I think Jesus would have a hard time with just that. But it's everybody's insanity placed on Jesus. And he pays the debt for all of us to make us alive. And it wasn't like Jesus was like, this sounds like a great idea. I'll do this. If you begin to read through the Gospels, you hear Jesus say things like, I wish this would hurry up and end. Like, I want to get it done. I want it over with. Or in the garden, he, Luke says that he sweats blood. And he's like, I don't want to do this. So Jesus wasn't like, hey, man, this is exciting. It's not the physical death that Jesus was completely worried about. I'm sure being crucified was on his mind. But it's all of our insanity to bear. And Jesus has to bear the abandonment of God the Father. The abandonment. He says, why have you abandoned me, God? Why? So that's what he has to experience on the cross for you and I so that we might be alive. So we might understand the sacredness of the image of God. So that the this life that's given to us, it means that you and I should be the people speaking out about the image of God. You know what? When we look at the way our culture deals with, you know, the unborn to marriage to the way it deals with, so the world is dealing with, you know, sectarian violence and Hamas and all these wonderful things. All of us have opinions on how that should be done and who's guilty and what's guilty. You know, and all this, we got a lot of rules and things for people to do. But honestly, as a Christian, your job is not to talk about that. Who cares? What's important is that people who bear the image of God are being destroyed constantly. And our job is to stand up and say, no, no, no. The image of God can't, we, we got to push aside this. We need to look at Jesus in the way that we interact with one another. We need to realize that the image of God is in all of us. But, a lot, but if you're not a follower of Jesus, you don't, you don't necessarily see that. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't do good things or those kinds of things. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you know truly what it means to be alive. That's the invitation that's there. Now, here's the great thing about this, this meal here. The thing that, the reason that we have it every week, the reason that there's a cross sitting in front of it, is that in the Passover meal, in Exodus 12, the Israelites are supposed to mark the doorposts, right? With blood. And the angel of death is going to pass over, and he'll pass over them, and he won't kill the firstborn of anyone inside that house when the blood is on the doorposts. Well, that's the cool thing that Jesus is saying in, in the Passover meal in Matthew 26, is that it's his blood that's put on us, on our foreheads, on our shoulders. So that the price of death, when it comes to us, when, when, when it's our time to be given over to our insanity, to be given over to our judge, our selfishness, to be given over to our abuse of the image of God, the angel passes over us. 
because we've been marked by the blood of Jesus. The way that that happens is when you grab hold of Jesus like Perky and you don't let go no matter how hard the world shakes your head, no matter how hard the world grabs hold of your jaw and puts its two fingers in there to try to get Jesus out, you hold on and you will reproduce. You will understand what freedom is. You will understand what it means to be just. And you will understand what it means to be sacred. So tonight, what I want you to think about is that I want you to think about the cross. And I want you to think about the cross in a whole new way. I want you to think about it as every time you look at the cross, you think, that's my symbol of freedom. That's my symbol of being made right. That's my symbol of having the image of God restored to me. It's a precious symbol. It's because it represents Jesus becoming our sin so that we can be alive. But I don't want you to hold it on to it. I really, really want you to become a proclaimer of those things to the world around you. And if you don't know Jesus, this is your opportunity to have sanity. Or if you've walked away from Jesus, this is your opportunity to re-grab hold of the sacredness of your image and to have peace. Let's pray.